Mr. Squidward. Welcome to the night shift. What is good? What is good, y'all? Welcome to episode 42 of The Night Shift. I'm the lonely one for tonight, John Alcorn, the host of my own show, That One Dude 2020. So hopefully the rest of the co-hosts can come tonight. But ladies and gentlemen, let's get into the next episode of The Night Shift here. Ladies and gentlemen, we got a lot of NBA talk, a little bit of the NFL, and a little bit of college football. But let's do it. Let's get back to the NBA. The Nets and Wizards. All I ask people. Let's is this if this is too crazy to say, let's stop the overhype of the Nets. We saw the early on KD what Harden was doing. Let's see what can happen throughout the season. If you look at the Nets game right here, ladies and gentlemen, this is what's blowing my mind. Well, not really blowing my mind, it's not really a surprise. The Nets blow an eight-point lead in the final eight seconds of the game and lose on a Russell. Rustbrook game winning three with two seconds left. Ladies and gentlemen, all I ask is that just because a team is stacked, this team has the best shooters, maybe the best guards, doesn't mean the chemistry is going to work all together. I'm not the biggest NBA fan like other people, but watching this game and watching the highlights, you just see it doesn't matter how great your roster is. It doesn't matter if there's four to five seconds left. It doesn't matter if there's a minute left. And any single sports game, folks, doesn't matter if you have the lead until the clock hits zero. You have to act like that you're about to lose. You have to be on your A game. The Nets were on their A game. I said the chemistry to a certain extent this year is going to be a problem. Like I said, with me and, of course, Callan McClurg here on the MI6 Sports Network. This shouldn't be a surprise that the Nets let the NBA or let fans down again. Obviously, are they going to make the playoffs? Yes, but they are not a threat to anybody in the NBA. They're only going to be the biggest threat here, ladies and gentlemen, to themselves. How later on in the season, how is this going to affect the Nets? Obviously, the Wizards are not in contention maybe this year. Maybe they get into the eighth spot in their division, but the fact of the matter is at this point in time, the Nets are a team that can start off great. They can shoot great in the first, second, third, maybe the fourth quarter. But can they be a team moving forward despite losing tonight? Can the Nets be a team that can close out? Because you could have a great first, second, or third quarter. Just like in the NFL, college football, you could have a great first, second, third quarter. You can go at 13 for 13, 276 yards. You can kind of do what you see in the NFL NBA. But if you can't close out games, it really doesn't matter. So I'm not surprised the Nets lost, but in this type of fashion, when you blow an eight-point lead with eight seconds, what does this show? They don't have defense. What does this show that all they're all offense and no defense? So it's like you're going to have the greatest offense, but if it comes down to a clutch defensive moment and you can't deliver and you're going to disappoint just like you have already this year, this is what the Nets are. They're really not a good team. I'm sorry here. You can have the great roster of the big three. I was not convinced in the beginning of the year. I don't care if you have Harden. I don't care if you have KD. I don't care if you have anybody else on the team. It really does. I don't care if you have Kyrie. 
We can talk about what we've had with Kyrie in the past. It does not truly matter here, ladies and gentlemen, because the Nets are a team. They're not a contender. The problem is with the sports media, it's going to be, oh, they have one good, game, one good game in the future. Oh, my gosh, are they a threat to the Lakers? Oh, my gosh, are they a threat in the whole East and West coming to the playoffs and maybe into the finals? Let me make this clear before we move on. The Nets are not going to be in the finals. The Nets are not a great NBA team. I don't care if you have James Harden goes 30 for 52. I don't care if James Harden has 32 points. I don't care if KD has 12 rebounds. I don't care if Kyrie plays and has 12 points and all these numbers. Numbers don't matter if you can't close out a game. It's true in every single sports game here, folks. But not a surprise. The Nets were not able to defeat the Washington Wizards when blowing an eight-point lead in the final eight seconds of the game on Lenny Wesser on a three-point shot miss by Russell Westbrook who is practically known, folks, in the past to not have great three-point shooting. He could be the best guard. He could be the most athletic person on the field, but it does not matter because he cannot shoot the three-pointer. I don't care what you do in 2K, what cheats you do. Russell Westbrook is not a great shooter when it truly matters. They can, they have offense, but they don't have defense. This could work maybe in the NFL with Patrick Mahomes, but it doesn't matter here, folks. They don't have defense. Later on the season in the NBA, you're not going to go anywhere. But I'm joined by Zay Leong. What is up, my man? How you doing? I'm doing good, man. Uh, it was actually kind of a slow, relaxing, boring kind of a day today because there was really nothing going on in the sports world besides, you know, the latest fallout of the Matthew Stafford trade. And also we had the Pro Bowl, though I don't think anybody watched the Pro Bowl today because it was on – uh, Madden 21. I don't think anybody was really, you know, into that. But yeah, it's uh, great to talk. Great to be here to talk to you about all the stuff that we have tonight. A lot of exciting NBA games, starting with the Nets and the Wizards that we're gonna get into, which I think was the most exciting game that I've seen in a, a long, long time. And then talk about your Broncos, John and Drew Locke. We're gonna actually mention Drew Locke on the show. Uh, one of the three quarterbacks that we have, and also. We'll talk about this MLB Players Union proposal that I'm really heated about. So I can't wait for this uh, this show. Okay, before we run your thoughts, like I said, they, they have a great offense. But later on in the season, it's not going to work. We've seen in the sports media where, oh, my gosh, they have one or two crickets. Oh, my gosh, so they a third to the – oh, my gosh, so they a third to the Lakers. It doesn't matter. They have the offense, but they don't have the defense when it matters. They can start off great, but they're not a true closer. Just like we criticized LeBron when it matters in last year. And versus the heat when he was with the Heat, when he did with the Cavs in 2016, what did they do was close. What did they do in moments when it mattered defense? And it's just really not a surprise you could have the greatest roster. But none of that truly matters here. I believe we have a clip that you wanted to share so we get to that. Then we get to some of your thoughts of the Nets and Wizards game. Beal will pull up for three. He hits it. 35 for Beal, two-point game. Matthews with a steal. Here's Westbrook for three. He hits it. Wizards up by one. Wow. Unbelievable. Wow. Did I just see that, J.K.? Are you kidding me? Talk about a turn of events. Folks, all I ask before I give Isaiah's thoughts is stop the overhype 
of the Brooklyn Nets. Isaiah, you saw what kind of what happened in this game. Said defense matters, and even though Russell Westbrook is not a great shooter, it delivered when it mattered. What are your thoughts more so about the Nets, not just in this game, but how does this affect their chemistry moving forward as we get towards halfway to the break of the NBA 72-game regular season? First of all, the Brooklyn Nets should be ashamed of themselves. That was one of the biggest chokes that I've ever seen uh, in my life watching basketball. I mean, when you look at it, John, I mean, John, can we play that clip again? The, I don't think the audience realizes how big of a choke this was. Go ahead. Beal will pull up for three. He hits it. 35 for Beal, two-point game. Matthews with a steal. Here's Westbrook for three. First of all, the Brooklyn Nets were up 146 to 141 with about eight seconds left in the ballgame. Normally at this point, if you look at the analytics, teams with a five-point lead with eight seconds left, they have a 99.2% chance to win that game. It is nearly impossible for the other team to come back because even if you hit a three, you know, the other team uh, or, yeah, if you hit a three, the other team gets the ball, they inbound the ball, then you have to foul, and then most likely what happens is that that team hits a couple of free throws or knocks down one out of two, and, you know, it's just very, very unlikely for you to be able to choke that game away. But the Brooklyn Nets, I don't know what they were doing. Steve Nash said in his post-game press conference that, you know, they they the Brooklyn Nets, they got cocky. They they felt like that they were going to win the game. Uh, they saw the clock, eight seconds left. Oh, yeah, we're going to win. You know, there's 99.2% chance that we're going to win this game. We've got this in the bag. And then they took their foot off the gas pedal, and they allowed the Washington Wizards and Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook to hit a couple of threes with eight seconds left in the game, and suddenly Washington was the one up by one instead of Brooklyn. This was such a big choke job, man. Uh, the defense, like you mentioned earlier, John, the Brooklyn Nets have no defense whatsoever. They are a great offensive team, but what did we say when they first put this team together? The Brooklyn Nets, they are a great offensive firepower, but they suck on the defensive end. And you can never win basketball games, let alone NBA championships, with no defense. You have to have a good defense to be able to compete for an NBA championship. I'm sorry, man. Like I know this is against like the Wizards, and it's one game, but it still shows the glaring hold that the Brooklyn Nets have at defense. This was an unacceptable choke, and I think that the Brooklyn Nets, they got to do some soul-searching right now because they, this was just humiliating. Uh, this was an embarrassment, and, you know, they, they definitely got to do some soul-searching right now. What they should have done, the best thing you can do is foul. Because at that point, even if he... Let's say you miss it and you foul. There's a better chance of you winning the game, even by extra quarter of percent. 
if people don't understand this when it comes to sports, is do not get cocky until the game clock in any single sport, like I just said, before we move on to the next NBA game, before we get to some unfortunate stubborn news in the NFL with the Broncos, you need to be able to close out. You have to, until the clock is zero, it doesn't matter. Anything can happen. You look at the NFL, look at the NBA, especially with tonight. All I ask is for a final thought. Do not let's stop the overhype with the Brooklyn Nets because they're just not a great team right now. But again, as you have the 76ers and the Pacers, this may not be an unpopular thing, but I'll say this before we get to Tiaz. The 76ers are improving to 15-6 on the year. Ben Simmons is somehow developing as a player somewhat, again, in the regular season. I don't buy them as a contender. I really don't. I'm sorry. This is the same thing we've seen in past three to four years where they start in the first 15, 20, 30, 45, 50 games. They, they look so great in the regular season. Then coming to the playoffs, either Jerome B gets hurt, Ben Simmons gets hurt, and or both of them just cannot have consistent ball sharing or play perimeter defense. It's just one of those many things where we tend to overhype a team. Is I understand the regular season is important, but more so your thoughts on this game is do you really buy the Philadelphia 76ers being a title contender this year? Believe it or not, John, I do. I think the Philadelphia 76ers are legitimate NBA title contenders. And the reason being is because, yes, I know the fact that everybody knows about Embiid and what he does, uh, Ben Simmons. He's actually playing pretty good basketball right now. But the Philadelphia 76ers have a legitimate big three. They have Embiid, they have Ben Simmons, and also they have Tobias Harris, who everybody was hating on last season because he had a really bad year. Well, he's actually rebounded under the tutelage of Doc Rivers. He's averaging 18 or – no, he's averaging, uh, I believe – 14, no, 20.3 points per game in 33 minutes of play. Uh, He has seven rebounds a game. Um, He is just playing outstanding basketball uh, behind Embiid and behind Ben Simmons. And also, what the 76ers did not have last season and why I think that this is a new Philadelphia 76ers, two things. Number one, they actually have a competent coach for the first time in the Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons era. They have Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers is a major upgrade over Brett Brown. Doc Rivers is a guy that he won an NBA title. He's been in the playoffs many, many times. That that is a big upgrade over Brett Brown, and it is showing right now on the court. Doc Rivers knows how to put his position. Players, I mean, in position to win ball games, unlike one Brett Brown. And the second thing that they have on this team that is different from years before is they have three-point shooting. You know, normally, or in years past, you know, we would always say, like, yeah, the biggest weakness with the Sixers was they played an old-school brand of basketball where you give MB the ball in the paint, let him dominate in the paint, let him do his thing. And then he would get doubled and he would kick it off, kick it out to the perimeter and nobody could knock down shots. Well, now they've got Seth Curry. They've got uh, Danny Green, who's actually revived himself with Philadelphia. They've got Shake Milton. They've got other three-point shooters. So now you can't like double Embiid in the post and expect Embiid to kick it out and nobody can burn you. 
uh, because Seth Curry, Danny Green, those guys can burn you. They have legitimate three-point shooters at the perimeter, plus Ben Simmons, plus how well Tobias Harris is playing right now with Doc Rivers. I think that this team is legitimate NBA title contenders. Do I think they will win a title? Probably not because I still think the Lakers are a better team. But if you look at other teams right now in the East, Miami is struggling. Uh, they're 6-12 and 12 currently. They have many players in and out of the, the lineup. You know, this. I feel like the Miami Heat, they're suffering from a NBA Finals hangover right now. They're just not the same team like we saw last year. Um, you look at Milwaukee. I, I personally still don't buy Milwaukee because I think that Giannis um, is going to choke in the playoffs. You know, we know what Giannis can do in the regular season, but it's what can Giannis do in the postseason which would make us change our opinion until he does something in the postseason and proves us wrong. Our our opinion is still going to be that, you know, he can't get it done when it matters the most in the playoffs. Um, you look at Boston, you know, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. The thing about the Celtics that really worries me is uh, they don't really have a big man in the middle that can stop one of the uh, elite bigs in the NBA. I think Joel Embiid would be able to tear apart the Boston Celtics in the paint. And, you know, when the Celtics devote all their attention, all their energy energy towards stopping Joel Embiid, well, guess what he's going to do? Pass it out to Tobias Harris. Pass it out to Danny Green. Pass it out to Seth Curry. And also you got Ben Simmons' ability to drive in the lane. And also, let's not forget, Ben Simmons – He's actually improved his uh, he's actually improved his mid-range game this year, which is very surprising. I know he still doesn't have a three-point shot, but he kind of did not have a mid-range game prior to this year. So I see a lot of good improvement from the Philadelphia 76ers. I like what I'm seeing right now from the Sixers. And uh, if you look at – and also I forgot Brooklyn as well. Brooklyn, like we mentioned earlier. No defense. How are you going to stop Embiid? How are you going to stop Danny Green from looking like the second coming of Ray Allen? How are you going to stop Seth Curry from looking like his brother? How are you going to stop uh, Ben Simmons from looking like John Stockton? So I don't believe in Brooklyn. Boston, you guys know my concern. Milwaukee, don't buy in Giannis. Uh, I got Philadelphia right now as my top team out of the East. No. I mean, at least I disagree with that just because is Doc Rivers really that much of an upgrade? Ask the Clippers. Every single time, what did Doc Rivers done with the Clippers in the second they throw around every single year in the playoffs? They choke. I'm not saying he's a little bit of a better upgrade, but what has he done? You had a three. You were up three one last year. You choked. I mean, just so many times in his coaching career. Obviously, I understand you won with the Celtics. You got that one championship. Congrats. But it's been over a decade since that has happened. And since then, you have coached, you have choked in big moments. And he's not really much of an upgrade. Again, I'm saying you talk about perimeter, you talk about three-port training, you talk about all that with the Sixers. But the same thing is going to happen. Like we saw in 2017, 2018, 2019, and we'll see what happens this year in 2021, is that they cannot deliver when it matters. And I'm not sure. What can Doc Rivers do any different than Brent Brown this year in terms of coaching? Because – when has Doug Rivers delivered in the past decade at all? You look at the Clippers. You had Chris Paul. You had Blake Griffin. You had all that. You couldn't do it. You couldn't do it with Kawhi. You couldn't do it. And what I call is it, how does he get allow the locker room atmosphere, the locker room chemistry? There were rumors with the Clippers last year. We talked about that and how they had like Kawhi and PG were getting peripheral treatment. All Some of that goes back to the coach. So what happens when the 76ers get a little bit of success? 
how is Doc Rivers going to handle that? He couldn't do it with the Clippers. So what makes you think we can do it with the 76ers? We would love to hear y'all's opinion on this. Do y'all truly think the Philadelphia 76ers are true title contenders? Isaiah, moving to the NFL, I'll let you have your thoughts first because I have a lot to say. The Denver Broncos were reluctant to give up quarterback Drew Locke for Matthew Stafford. Does this really hurt the Denver Broncos? Or is Drew Locke really the answer for the Broncos next year? Wow. Uh, first of all, when I first saw this news, I was like, yes, we got to talk about this on the show tonight because I cannot wait to see John's reaction to this news. I know he's going to flip out when we talk about this news uh, that the Broncos decided, nope, we cannot trade Drew Locke uh, in a deal for Matthew Stafford. Listen, the reason why um, I think that the Broncos did this is because, first of all, I still think that even though they have George Payton now as the GM, do you, I don't think anybody thinks that George Payton has full power in that front office. I think that John Elway is the guy that is still pulling the strings when it comes to the major moves. Do I think that Payton still ha like has some power? Yes, I think Payton does have some power in the front office. I think that George Payton, um, he's the guy that can control like the little moves, like signing guys off practice squad, um, signing minor free agents, uh, drafting in the late rounds. But I think when it's all said and done, I think John Elway holds the keys to that Denver Broncos kingdom. And you look at Drew Locke. Who drafted Drew Locke? John, you know who drafted Drew Locke? John Elway. John Elway does not want to admit defeat for that pick. That is why the Denver Broncos are keeping Drew Locke. Like, if you look at his stats, uh, he's not a good quarterback. He had a good five-game stretch. Foolish me bought into the Drew Locke hype and picked the Denver Broncos. MVP and beating Patrick Mahomes, and you don't fear Patrick Mahomes. Yes, you. I was foolish. I picked Drew Locke and the Denver Wait. Broncos to win. Can you say the that AFC one more time? Season. Can you say that one more time? Yes, I picked the Denver Broncos. No, to win before the that, before before that. I was what? foolish for picking Drew Locke and the Denver Broncos to win the AFC West. I was foolish for picking Drew Locke to throw for over 4,000 yards and win NFL MVP. That was the dumbest pick that I've ever made in my life. If you look Talon, at Drew Locke. This, this is history being made here on the MSX Sports Network. Isaiah admitting on air about his faulty take. If you look at Drew Locke's stats, last year, Drew Locke played in 13 games. He was 4-9. He completed 57.3% of his passes, 2,933 yards passing, 16 touchdowns, and 15 interceptions. It almost seemed like every Denver Broncos game, you expected one or two picks from Drew Locke each game. And I know because like, I watched like – I think I watched every Sunday, I would watch at least one Denver Broncos game. And it seemed like, you know, the Broncos would have a good drive going. And then all of a sudden, Drew Locke kills them with an interception. So Drew Locke, his decision-making is very questionable. Uh, he has a good, he has a great arm, cannon of an arm. But the issue is he always, he doesn't know how much touch to put on the football. And he doesn't really uh, trust his reads and trust his wide receivers. So I think that Denver, I think they are foolish for not 
trading Drew Locke. I think that um, John Elway just doesn't want to admit that he was wrong on the Drew Locke pick. And we'll see. We'll see what happens. If Drew Locke comes out this, uh, next season and balls out and proves us wrong, then I'll, go, I'll come back on this show and I'll say that, hey, I was wrong on saying that uh, Denver should have given up Drew Locke for Matthew Stafford. But I think it's a no-brainer. You have a veteran, established quarterback that you could get if you were to just part – part with Drew Locke and you don't do that because you want to keep Drew Locke and you don't want to admit defeat. I love this comment. Isaiah, you went Higgins on Drew Locke. But of course, Casey King comes in to say, good evening, guys. I think Doug Rivers would get run out of Philly in the long run. They won't go far in the playoffs. I agree, Casey King. But my reaction to this, Isaiah, go fill out another application for Target. John Elway. Like you say, when they hire all the, the time GM, you need in the world, John. Take all the time. You when need they the say that they hire the GM, they, John always said all final decision making still goes through John Elway. You want a little Pinocchio puppet, like with the Eagles, like with many other teams in the NFL. It's just really, really what you want to see. It's just really. Truly what you want to happen. I don't understand. John Elway is a terrible GM. Players, former players, Super Bowl champions, becoming head coaches or GMs or anything of that sort. How does that work out here, folks? I know my Broncos since 2016, they have been terrible. I can admit that. I can be realistic about my team situation. Unlike a certain sports guy here. But John Elway, you are part of the problem. Drew Locke is not the answer at the quarterback position, and he never was. I never said he was the guy. I said, let's give him some time. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt, and then let's see what happens. But, folks, Drew Locke is not the answer. John Elway, you really think, again, um, I don't think we should have gone after Matthew Stafford just because we're not in win-now mode. We still have to address the offensive line. Let's see how can Corrin Sutton be healthy. Can Lindsey and Melvin Gordon work out? What is the long-term solution? Is Phil Lindsay going to be one one-two punch duos with Evan Gordon having one year left in his contract? So there's still a lot of solutions. So while I do agree not completely going after Stafford because we're not in win now, but the one part I do not agree with, just like Isaiah knows here, you're not willing to give up Drew Locke. What has Drew Locke shown you? You can have the energy, the fire, the passion. It doesn't matter. Some guys are not meant to be quarterbacks in the NFL. I don't care if you draft him. Admit your mistake. You didn't want it. you quickly admitted it with Paxton Lynch, who's on the back of a practice squad for Seattle. You did it quicker with Osweiler. He's he went to Houston and he came back. Who made that decision? That was John Elway. So folks, what I really don't understand here is what is John Elway seeing? Because if truly Drew Luck is the guy you have to see some type of improvement. I understand give him some time to do all this fine. But we need to see some improvement from this five, seven-game stretch from 2019 when y'all torched the Houston Texans. We saw no improvement. Since 2016, the best starting quarterback we've had was Trevor Simeon, almost 3,600 yards passing, 26 TDs to 13 interceptions, and went, went nine and seven and missed playoffs by just one game after winning the Super Bowl because of the defense. But no, John Elway, you basically 
want to be stubborn when an organization or an owner is stubborn and not willing to admit when they're wrong. That's the thing about football here, I say, or anybody that's watching. When you make a mistake, own up to it. That's what makes a good leader. John Elway is not a leader. Despite John Elway winning two Super Bowls, he was not an accurate passer. So clearly not being an accurate passer despite being a Super Bowl winner, he, all he's drafted is inaccurate passers at the quarterback position. I don't know if he does it on purpose to tease Broncos fans or anything like that. Since 2016 here, folks, how many different quarterbacks have we had? Almost 10-plus starting quarterbacks. We can name even more. Bryce Hypen, too many guys to name here on onto the show. So what gives John Elway any single ammo to prove, prove that Drew Luck is the guy? That's pure cancer right there. I don't know. That's pure verbal diarrhea. I don't know why you would play that here. But the fact of the matter is, Drew Locke is not a competent NFL quarterback. I hope he does succeed. The fact of the matter is, He's not the guy. Draft a quarterback. Admit when you're wrong. That shows just leadership. Chris Frazier just said it could be worse. I mean, could it? We had Trevor Simeon. I'm not saying he was the guy, but the fact of the matter is, though, it could be a lot worse. We could have a guy like Blake Bortles or so many other quarterbacks. John Elway just doesn't seem to understand that, hey, when you take all the power, does this look like Jerry Jones? Does this look like Harry Roseman with the Philadelphia Eagles? I really don't care. Isaiah, you have something to add before we move on? Yeah, um, you know, first of all, I love that video by Drew Locke. Uh, if Drew Locke, listen, mm-hmm. if Drew Locke, Drew Locke deserves to be in the Hall of Fame just for that video alone. That video was super goaded. That video is now gone. Thank you. <laughs> I know that video is gone, but hey, Drew Locke, if he, you don't do anything for the rest of your career, that video, thank you so much for that. But uh, I wanted to go back to, I think, was it Chase Frazier that had that comment about Trent Balky? Listen, I need to give my thoughts about that move. That was a terrible move by the Jacksonville Jaguars. Chase, I don't know if you're a Jaguars fan, but if you are, I feel so sorry for, the, for your Jaguars, um, you know, Urban Meyer was a good hire by the Jaguars. I love that move. But Trent Baalke, that guy, backstabbed coaches with the 49ers. And trust me, I know what I'm talking about about because I'm a 49ers fan, and I had to witness what Trent Baalke did. Oh, he's an he's a 49ers fan, so um, he probably agrees with me on this. But Trent Baalke to the Jaguars, that's a terrible move. That guy's a backstabber. Uh, he went out of his way to talk trash about Harbaugh behind his back. Uh, he went to the owner when Harbaugh uh, or, or when Bulky wasn't getting his way. It was just a complete uh, crap show between Bulky and Harbaugh. And I blame Bulky for most of that. Bulky, he's just so manipulative. He's not a guy that you want being the GM. And I feel bad for Urban Meyer because I expect the same thing to happen to Urban Meyer like what happened to Jim Harbaugh. Without a doubt, man. He's definitely right on now. It could be worse at GM. But at the same time, imagine with John Elway not getting full power. He would be gone probably just like that. But my final thought on this before we move on because we don't want a whole hour share about this. If the Broncos don't change, 
we're not going to be a contender anytime soon. We, I know that we're not right now over the next three to four to five years because Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes. Unlink one of our panelists here. I won't say his name, Isaiah Leon here. Again, we're not mentioning names as yet, but the Chiefs are the Chiefs, and I just don't understand what John Elway thinks he's doing. But, again, some owners are just caring more about making the money. That's fine. But I can admit my team is not great. You continuously failed drafting at the quarterback position just because you play quarterback doesn't mean you know how to draft a quarterback. I was excited about drafting practice lunch. I believe out of Buffalo. How did that work out? So many different quarterbacks. I'm ashamed. John Elliott, you're a terrible GM or owner and the new GM. I wish you luck. I hope you succeed. But the Chiefs being the Chiefs, there's just really not any bright spots here. But Drew Locke is not the answer. Not at Madden, not at anything else. Again, but a lot of things are going to happen for the Denver Broncos. Okay, Paxton went to Memphis. My apologies on that one. Again, but Von Miller is a free agent. So it doesn't matter. Von Miller is a free agent right now. Coming in March. So we, you, you can trade. I don't know. You can't trade a guy that's a free agent. So his contract is done. You're not going to be able to pay him. There's too many issues there. I agree with not going after Matthew Stafford because they're not in win now with so many pieces to rebuild and not necessarily having the most money. But John Elway, if you don't change, I don't know what else to say. My team is terrible. I'm not sure how anytime soon we're ever going to be able to contend for another Super Bowl. I say you have one more thing before we move on. Yeah, um, I also want to uh, add something to Chase's comment about Von Miller to San Francisco. Listen, I like that idea because I think that D Ford is either going to retire or he's going to be released. D Ford is not going to be with the San Francisco 49ers next year. The guy is often injured. Um, he costs a lot of money for the 49ers. And I believe that if you cut him, uh, you would not have that bad or that big of a cap hit. I might be wrong on that, but um, it seems to me that D Ford has either a neck or a back injury, and there were rumors from a couple of months ago that he was seriously considering retirement. So I think that he's going to retire, or he's not, uh, or he, he's, he's going to be cut. So I don't expect him to be back. And if the 49ers cut him or he retires, they're going to save a lot of money, and they're going to have a lot of money to spend. And given right now where we are at with the COVID-19 pandemic. The salary cap, I believe, is going to go down because there was not any revenue occurred this year by the NFL and NFL teams everywhere uh, due to no, or no fans or limited fans being in the stands. So the salary cap is going to go down. So I think you're going to see a lot of free agents have a hard time finding those big money contracts because not a lot of teams are going to be willing to pony up the money and offer those to those free agents and offer them a lot of money because the salary cap is going to go down. Just like what happened with Matt Ryan. You know, Matt Ryan, I believe he's making like $35 million next season. There's a chance the Atlanta Falcons cut him. Uh, I think probably like in on June 1st, June 1st, they could cut him and they can avoid a big cap hit. Uh, I think they will cut Matt Ryan and I think they will make that move because I'm not saying Matt Ryan's a bad quarterback. I'm saying that the salary cap's going to go down. And if Matt Ryan is still making his 35 to 37 million, he's going to take up potentially half of the 
Atlanta Falcons salary cap. Plus, you have Julio Jones. So those two players alone could take up half of your cap. So I could see Vaughn Miller coming to San Francisco on a maybe like a one-year uh, less money type of a contract because it depends what Vaughn Miller wants. He's at that age right now where he needs to determine if he wants to win or he wants to make a lot of money. And if he wants to win, I recommend him to take less. And I think he should take less because a lot of players are going to be taking less due to the pandemic, but take less, come to the Niners and imagine Nick Bosa on one side and Vaughn Miller on the other. I mean, my gosh, that would be crazy. And also one more name I want to bring up JJ Watt. There's rumors out there that the Texans are shopping JJ Watt right now. And if I'm John Lynch, I'm dialing up the phone right now to the Texans front office and asking them what would it take to get J.J. Watt. Because we saw this last year. Once Nick Bosa went down, the 49ers pass rush was non-existent. Eric Armstead was non-existent. Kinlaw was non-existent. They need guys. They need talented pass rushers around them for all of them to thrive as a unit. So, you can't just have Bosa on one end and have an inferior pass rusher on the other uh, to tr- expect the pass rush to thrive. No, you got to have Bosa and you got to have a legit elite pass rusher on the other end for this whole unit to thrive. So either go get Von Miller or go get J.J. Watt. And I think that um, the 49ers, they will be back uh, and that defense will be back to the defense that we saw when the 49ers made that Super Bowl. He does make a good point. When hires the best pass rusher, there is a problem. No, it's the lesser between two evils in terms of J.J. Watt and Von Miller have been known recently to be injury prone. I would lo- I would hate to see Von Miller leave, but sometimes that's the business. That is the nature of the NFL. I say I'll let you take this next topic here. The MLB is offering player players union a deal. They could delay the season, I believe, for about a month, calling for a 152-game season, and the players would still get their full money for the full season. And exciting playoffs. What are your more so thoughts on this? Is how did, does this really help the MLB, or do you think this is really all going to go down the way they think? John, I believe that MLB players they should absolutely take this deal. MLB players would be stupid not to take this deal that the owners and the commissioner are offering to them right now. When you look at this proposal and you break down exactly what MLB is offering to the players, everything in this deal favors the players. John, like you mentioned when you were uh, explaining the deal that baseball is offering to the players, this deal, first of all, they call for the players would get their full season pay for a 152-game season, which is 10 games off from the regular 162-game schedule that they play in baseball, instead of a prorated pay, which the players got last year for a shortened season. So the players, the owners already are already offering to pay them their full salary for this year instead of the prorated amount. So that's big right there if you're the players. Secondly, all of the 32 or the 30 teams in baseball are going to have a designated hitter, which means there will be more starting jobs for uh, players like Nelson Cruz and Marcelo Zuna that can't that can hit, but they can't go into the field and 
play good defense. So you're going to see a lot more jobs for those players. And also, when you have an expanded playoff, it means that more teams will be able to get to the playoffs and more teams and GMs, they will have more initiative to spend money to try to win instead of like selling off your assets and tanking because you have no chance at the playoffs. You can get off to a so slow start and still be in contention to make the postseason. And also, when you look at this, the big, I think the big proponent of this proposal is the fact that MLB in this proposal would delay spring training and also delay the season by a month. I think that means that the spring training, which normally starts the second week of February, would start, I believe, in the first week of March and also the season which was supposed to start sometime in March would start at the end of April. I think that is really smart because right now the coronavirus cases are surging at, a, at an alarming rate, especially in states like Florida and Arizona where spring training is held. If you were to do spring training in two weeks, I guarantee you that would be a super dumb idea because you would have half of the teams in baseball reporting to their spring training sites in Arizona, and they would be at a high risk of exposure to the coronavirus since Arizona right now is the hotspot for the virus. If you were to move spring training to March or like the third week of March, the players, they would still have a month to get ramped up for the season. And I think at that time with more players or people getting vaccinated, I believe that you would see the COVID surge slowly start to decline. And I think it would be more safer to hold spring training then and not put your players at a higher risk of getting the virus. And also, if you move the season back a month to April, who knows, maybe at that time, like I said earlier, with more and more people getting vaccinated and the cases hopefully declining, you may be able to get limited amount of fans into the stadiums, which would help you recoup some of the lost revenue that you've been losing since the pandemic started instead of having no fans and losing a lot of revenue. So I believe that this deal is smart for everybody involved, especially the players. But John, I'm skeptical that the players would take it because the players and the owners can never, ever, ever get along and they can never negotiate anything to save their lives. The, the players and the owners' relationship is kind of like me and you. Like, we disagree on almost every single thing. That's kind of like it is with the players and the owners. They cannot agree on any single item. Like, both sides, they've got massive egos. This is why... You know, the players and owners, like I said, they can never, never, ever get anything done. Heck, they can't even negotiate, John, what to have for lunch, let alone a deal about the season. I guarantee you, if you put mm -hmm. the players and the owners together and, you know, ask them like, hey, where should we go to lunch? They would disagree. And that disagreement would probably take like three hours for it to resolve itself on just what to have for lunch. That's how like, like dug in these two sides are. Um, and also, John, you know, the players, I just think like they don't want to cave in to the owners. They don't want to be seen as the ones that cave in. I don't think none of the sides want to be seen as the ones that caved in to the other side. And that's what's hurting baseball right now. And, you know, I really hope the players take it, but I'm kind of skeptical that they will, given the fact that the players and the owners just have a history of not being able to get together or not being able to get along and not being able to agree on almost everything.
James Zoss does make a good point here. MLB player unit is being done because kind of what I wanted to talk about with looking at this is that if this is the case and you do get paid for the full 152 game season, just because you set out that plan doesn't mean it's going to work out. Just because it looks like it's going to work out doesn't mean it's actually going to help benefit the players here. So I'm really concerned as really see what the owners is that or the players union is that who are they really doing it for? Is it just for the owners? Is it just for the players? But at the end of the day, I agree with these two cards right here. Casey Arsher news that could happen in case he's saying I hear players union is going to reject the proposal tomorrow. So again, Casey, from my viewpoint of trying to learn more about baseball is that, like you say, if they can't agree on anything, and let's say they do agree, but it's only going to benefit one side. How can you find a deal, truly? Any baseball fan out there would love to hear your opinion I'm not a baseball person. How are you going to find a deal where it benefits both sides, but nobody has to cave in, but you still get what you get and you're still happy? John, I think the players are absolute idiots for declining this deal. Like, I really don't understand why you would decline it. I mean, every single thing that has been laid out literally favors you. First of all, like we said, you get your full pay for not even playing a full 162-game season. You're playing 152 instead of 162. When you play a shortened season than the normal 162, the owners and the commissioner have a right to take away some of your pay since you're not playing the entire 162. So they're already getting their full salary. Then you get more jobs, you know, with the expanded uh, designated hitter to all the teams. Then you have expanded playoffs. Every team in baseball has a great shot to make the playoffs, depending on, like, if you get off to a fast start, I mean, if you get off to a slow start, you can still make the playoffs. Uh, it gives the GMs and uh, agent, not agents, it gives the GMs and presidents of baseball ops uh, more initiative to spend. It delays spring training. It de delays the season by almost like a, by a month, which would you know hopefully give you um, put fans in the stands, and also it would help you uh, be able to not get exposed to the virus easily, which you would right now if you were to start spring training in two weeks. I just don't understand what the players are doing in this deal. It's a no-brainer. The players, they should swallow their egos and just accept this deal because literally everything in this deal that we've laid out, it all favors the players. I mean, if you don't accept this deal, what else can the owners do? Like they already given you everything that you've asked for in this deal. There's literally nothing else that the owners can give you anymore. Mm -hmm. And James also has made a good point here before we kind of move on to our, our last segment of the day, before we do bloopers of the week, like we do every single Sunday here on the night shift episode 42. James also comes in to say players union and owners should not just have a season until they have a long-term agreement. I, and I agree, James, just because, yes, it worked for this season. But what about next year? What about the year after? What about the year after? And if you're just thinking about the short term here, I think it could have more long-term lasting effects. It says, MLB is losing interest for me without that. Dude, I want to give baseball an, an opportunity just to kind of learn from baseball. Like I've seen with guys like Rob Parker and many others in the sports media. But I just don't really have any interest after hearing a bunch of all these stories and everything. It just doesn't make me interested in baseball at all again, you talk about the riffs each offseason without a doubt, man. I can't, I just can't grasp watching baseball. 
Chase Fraser also says the players really wanted a way, sh- a way shorter season, a full guarantee contract they're trying to get last year. Well, fair enough. If they're trying to do it this year. How is it going to help? How is it really going to benefit? You're thinking about right now. What about two to five, ten years when the next agreement goes through? Like just like we have with the new term thing with the NFL for the new for the next what 2021 season. I mean, there's just so many things to think about here. I just don't see how this helps both sides. Again, if you're the players here, I say you have one more thing to add. It just really disgusts me um, because the players. They've asked for their full salary. Well, the owners are already giving their full salaries to them as we laid out in this proposal. Now you want a shortened season with your full salary? You can't go both ways. Either choose to have your full salary uh, or to have a shortened season with the prorated pay that you had last season. You can't have it like where you have the shortened season and the full salary. Like that doesn't benefit the owners you have to have an agreement where it benefits both sides if you have a shortened season and you have or you give the player and you give the players full salaries the owners will be losing a ton of money and they don't want to be losing millions and billions of dollars no so you gotta find a way to come across the middle and i just think that this deal is a perfect middle ground for these two sides and i think the players are just being like really stupid for not taking this deal couldn't agree more here casey one last comment before we move on to the final topic if they go on a strike it would be a long time before i return for the mlb me too i was about to get an opportunity casey and isaiah but i I just can't do it i'll just follow college games a bunch of greets here couldn't agree more, but I say at the last topic here we go to college football, which I'm a little bit surprised. I haven't heard the name Jeff Fisher since before he got fired, really, on the hard knocks in 2017 or 2016-2017 after ruining Jared Goff's rookie year, who is now the Detroit Lions starting quarterback at the moment. Isaiah, Jeff Fisher is a finalist for the Montana State head coaching job. Do you think Montana should give him a chance, or are we going to see what we saw in the NFL. You know what? I say yes, they should because they have nothing to lose. Montana State, I don't think they are in the FBS. Um, I think that Montana State football is part of the FCS and it would be a great way for Montana State to drum up ticket sales by bringing in a big name in Jeff Fisher and also Jeff Fisher you know, he would be able to coach again. Uh, I know that he's wanted to be a head coach, whether it's, you know, coaching high school, coaching college or coaching in the NFL. He just wants to get back to coaching. And I think that this would be a great fit uh, for Jeff Fisher. You know, you're in the big sky conference. There's not really a lot of pressure for you. Uh, You can go like, you can go, I, you can go six and six and uh, people would say that that was a great season. It's, it's not as much pressure as you would face in the NFL. I think that Jeff Fisher, if he's offered this deal, he should absolutely take it. Um, and I would, you know, I would definitely tune in to Montana State football just to see how Jeff Fisher does because, you know, I like to see how these big name former NFL coaches do in college. And it will be interesting because Jeff Fisher, I don't think he's ever coached in college. I might be wrong on that, but when you're coaching in the NFL and coaching in college is different because in the NFL, you're dealing with veterans. In college, you're dealing with uh, kids. And also, you have to go into uh, the kids' homes and recruit 
those kids. So it's going to be very interesting to see how Jeff Fisher fares uh, if he, in fact, gets the job at Montana State. I understand they need a coach. I understand the NFL and college is different. But Jeff Fisher is an absolute joke of a head coach. If you look at the hard knocks in 2017, he's like, well, unfortunately, y'all, I'm not going to be able to go to the, the training with y'all. I was like, no kidding. And they're just sitting there awkwardly because they want to celebrate. Ask Vince Young. I understand the NFL. You can not succeed in the NFL. And then you can go to college. It's totally different. You can look at Nick Saban. Again, Jeff Fisher is not going to be Nick Saban. Let's set aside what division they're in or anything else. Just break it down. Just Jeff Fisher as a head coach. Does he have any leadership skills from what we've seen? No. Does he have any energy? No. Does, can he establish locker room culture so far what we've seen in the NFL? No. So how is that going to change when you go to a much smaller team that is obviously not known like Alabama, Wisconsin, or Texas, or any of those college football teams? Give them a chance, but don't expect anything in return. This is one of those investments that you're not going to get anything in return. Jeff Fisher is a terrible leader. He's a bad head coach. The only time, I think about it, the only time he was good, Eddie George, Steve McNair, rest in peace. They're one yard away from winning the Super Bowl. Though that was the last time Jeff Fisher was a big name in coaching. Folks, that was about 21, almost 22 years ago. Montana State, I get you're very desperate to put yourselves on the map since you're really not on the map at all. Like James Gonzalez comes in saying, what network carries Montana State football games? Exactly. Since it is a small college football program, give an opportunity, but don't expect anything big in return. I don't know how Jeff Fisher is going to be able to recruit for a college football program when they're not even televised, really, for the most part. I have not seen a Montana State football game. That's why, John, Jeff Fisher is a perfect if he were to ever coach college football at Montana State than at a program like USC. Because if Jeff Fisher, and I've heard rumors that USC could replace uh, Clay Helton with Jeff Fisher, if Jeff Fisher were to go to USC, it would be an unmitigated disaster because he's dealing with a big-time program. I know it's his alma mater, but Jeff Fisher has never recruited in his life, and he would be dealing with um, a different audience that he dealt with in the NFL. So it would be a whole new challenge for Jeff Fisher. I think that him going to Montana State is good because even if he struggles – he won't have that high expectation than he would have had at a potential big-time program like a USC or even at Vanderbilt, like some of uh, Vanderbilt that he was mentioned for a couple months ago. Don't give him a chance. He's a joke. But, again, I agree with one of Casey's comments. But it's also his last comment before we move on to the last one. Jeff Fisher is best at defensive coordinators, and there's a note on a head coach. I agree. And it's not a bad thing, Casey, like I said, with coaches. Know your position. Know your role. Stay in your lane. That's not a bad thing. Do what you're good at. Hugh Jackson may be a great defensive coordinator in college with USC, Pete Carroll, and all those guys. But going to a head coach, that just wasn't his thing. But again, if coaches would know more of what they're best at, then we would see a lot of guys still – I bet you Hugh Jackson, if he was, if he wanted to be a defensive coordinator, there would be teams in college and in the NFL that would guarantee you would give – him an opportunity. James Gonzalez comes in to say before we go on to our last little segment here on the show, Jeff Fisher would still go seven to nine at Montana State. He'd be like, uh, you mean seven to nine for the two to three for two years he goes there? 
maybe that's a possibility. Get all jokes aside, Jeff Fisher is not a good coach. It's not just about if you have a small program. Can he establish that locker room atmosphere and the chemistry and the brotherhood despite the team not being on the map? Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have here, I believe, one of the last segments we're doing like we do every single Sunday. Bloopers of the week. Isaiah, why don't you do that one for me? All right. What's the first one we got? All right, ladies and gentlemen, for our bloopers of the week, as usual, we've got five bloopers of the week. And number one, we will start off with something that happened this week in Detroit. It was Caruso. You can't allow that guy that close to do that. You have to cut through or space yourself a little bit better. What, what is that? He wanted to throw the ball. Derek Rose. He wanted to throw the ball. <laughs> I'll go first on this, John. Um, listen, this, when I first saw this, I laughed my brains out. It was so freaking hilarious. Um, and it's still hilarious. But, you know, when I look at this again, I think that Derek Rose had, he had, committed to passing the ball to that to one of his teammates that was on that right side and I guess that um, I think it was Montrez Harrell I guess he went over and covered the guy that Derrick Rose had committed to and Derrick Rose he had already committed to him so he just threw the ball uh, or he yeah he threw the ball away and you see that blooper right there I think it's one of those where sometimes you're in such a big moment. Your thought process is literally out the window. Nothing is going on. You just do it, and you're like, oh, gosh, that ain't mean to do that. It's one of those where, man, Derek, I'm a big fan of him and his comeback story, but you've had a moment in sports or anything where you're, just, you're so consumed with the moment where you forget what you're doing completely, and that's kind of what we saw here with Derek Rose. Man, that's one of the biggest brain farts I have seen in NBA history. Jay Fisher, before we go into our last four tonight, Jeff Fisher has Danny Oman, Danny Omandela concussion flashbacks without a doubt. But Isaiah, for the number two spot for the bloopers of the week, what do we got? One more thing before we move on from the Derrick Rose uh, blooper. I just want to say that I think that Derrick Rose, uh, he either had some glue on his hand. Maybe I think that's what happened. He had like sticky, not butterfingers. Sticky fingers. That's what happened. And that's why the ball just stuck to his hand a little bit and it went uh, to the other way. Uh, our second blooper is called Unlucky. They're having too many version pina coladas, and one soccer mom fan here would know that here. We're not saying any names Isaiah Leong or Asian Skip Bayless, but man, I don't know what happened there, but what are they doing? I get you having fun. You may be a little bit whatever. I get you fall. I get you fell in the boat. But after that, you somehow find a way. To fall out off the boat and into the water. I'm just hoping she didn't have anything personal in her pockets, man. Because, man, oh, man, that could have put somebody in a bad mood. If that was my phone, I've almost put my phone in water, man, before. So, oh, boy. 
John, my take from this is that poor woman. I mean, she was so unlucky right there because if you if you see it, she she trips on that step, loses her balance, and when she's losing her balance, the momentum causes her to fall into the water. That's like she's definitely she's definitely tipsy there because uh, yeah. the exhaust comes in with a funny comment. Mom is tipsy and fell in the water. Again, she definitely was tipsy. You saw the way she was walking, swerving back and forth. There's no doubt that she was tipsy in this one. Before we move on to the next one, this one's kind of hilarious. Any video game fan out there, she fell like a GTA 5 character. If you ever play video games, them falling is the most unrealistic, hilarious thing on the planet. Look at on YouTube for those fail type of videos. But, man, if you're going to be on a boat, I you know, yeah, I agree. James Gonzalez. I think Derrick Rose has a great comeback story with the things he's done on the Timberwolves. Anybody else? I think the Lakers at this point and just sign him because he deserves to get a shot at NBA tab more than anybody in the NBA right now. But folks, she looked like a soccer mom. A soccer mom on a boat on a weekend. Do not trust him. You know their flexibility is going to be low. You know they're going to have some mimosas, which Isaiah says he drinks, but I guess he's a soccer mom now. But there's no doubt that she was tipsy, and it was definitely hilarious. I still love this one, though. He felt like a GTA 5 character because, again, if anybody has played or watched GTA 5, it is without a doubt hilarious. But Isaiah, the next one here we have for bloopers of the week, what do we got? We've got not... Fine dining. Uh, you're definitely fired. Um, I wish I had the clip of you know who's saying you're fired, but uh, you're fired. I can't. I may mean, guarantee. Yeah, it is some big mistake. We can learn. It's one of those things that all you would have to say is, What? Oh my God, you had it! I have never worked in that type of industry, and I never will, because I'm afraid of making those types of mistakes, especially the way some of the clients were dressing up, or the customers, who knows what type of people they were, but man, oh man, it. I really hope he or she was able to keep their job, but at that point, I don't think so because that guy looked very pissed and I don't blame him at all. I don't know what the food was dropped on his clothes. I really hope it was stain or not stain resistant because, man, he. I. <laughs> Here's the problem. Do you literally see? You have a table right here. Okay, she had no room to walk. So that's the problem. No room to walk. Let's say this is a chair right here on the table. And there's another chair and table right here on the other side. So she had like this much of room to walk. So I don't think that was very smart on their part. Yes, she could have been without a doubt more careful. Gene Gonzalez kind of makes a good point. That almost look on purpose. Maybe it was. Gonzalez, we don't know. But she literally had she had this much room to walk through. How do you expect any employee to do that? I just think it's kind of insane. I don't know what kind of revenue. I would give her the benefit of the doubt because she did have like 
a whole stack of plates with food that she was carrying, I believe, with one hand. I might be wrong on that, but one hand, that's yeah. really heavy right there. That's with this much room to walk. She had yeah, literally exactly. this much of space. Exactly. That's really heavy. Plus, you only got that much room to walk. Yikes. I feel really bad for her. Um, I hope she was able to keep her job, but I doubt it because that is that looked like a really big event that they were catering for, and to mess up that type of event is just uh, yikes. But the two other people that I feel really bad for besides the waiter is the two men that had those plates crash on them and also had the food dropped on them. Like people don't notice this, but the plates like shattered on their necks. I hope that nothing serious happened to them because my gosh, you guys know like all those plates that shattered on it, all that glass that is on your neck. I hope that they didn't have all like a ton of cuts on their neck uh, to, when they go home. You're, just sitting there trying to have a nice meal with the people that are there with you and just trying to relax. And all of a sudden, boom, you have plates crashing on you and coming home with cuts all over you. Yikes. Yeah, that's awful. But this next one, I say the final one or two we have, what is the next blooper of the week that we have? Yes, the next blooper we have is Wedding Gone Wrong. And I, for this blooper, quick disclaimer, make sure you guys uh, look at the cameraman that is filming the wedding. Should we play it again? Sure. <laughs> I hope that was you wife's dad, John. I hope I doubt was, it, but it's like, man, how are you not more obvious of your surroundings? You were there playing in advance to what you're gonna do. Man, oh man, I hope that wasn't a professional company, because man, oh boy, like I understand like you're you're in the moment in whatever you're doing. But despite it being the moment in that you're doing, bro, you have to pay attention to your surroundings and I really hope that wasn't – he didn't have, like, his own business or anything like that. I, I'm just like – first of all, I hope that it wasn't any of the bride or the groom's family members because if it was, that person's not going to hear the end of that. Uh, and secondly, I agree with you. How do you not look at your surroundings? I mean, the guy was just looking at – like, with his camera, he was just looking at the bride and the groom that were dancing. And this is what happens when you don't look at your surroundings. You trip on – whatever step that is there, and you just fall flat on your face. I mean, which one's more embarrassing, that or somebody getting the cops calling them for forgetting the passcode to their own house? I won't say who, Isaiah Leong, but man, man, these are hilarious. But this last one we have for bloopers of the week, what do we got? We've got slip and slide. Oh, boy. I've seen that one, and they 
it's one of those where they could have died. Like, we, I know we joke around, we'll joke around about it too, but they, they could have died, man. Like, that's it's one of those where that's maybe why I don't do that type of stuff. But it's like you have to be aware, but I, I don't blame them. But, folks, this is why I say always be careful, always have people around you because it could have, likely they have the helmet or anything because it could have gone one of two ways brain damage, death, or you got very, very lucky, but also had to get a new change of clothes. Not because you dro- got dropped in the water, but it's because you you know what. But man, Isaiah, that's what you call the Isaiah there. What would you really think about this one? And what do you think was going through that person's mind? I completely agree with James Gonzalez's comment. That could have been so much exactly. worse. Exactly. Dude, the guy, he's lucky that when he fell down into the water, he's lucky that that water wasn't shallow. Because if that water was shallow, mm-hmm. He's dead on the spot. Also, um, he's also lucky that when he fell, his head didn't hit any of the rocks that were next to uh, next to like the water. So he's very, very lucky. But this is what happens when you're curious. You're trying to see like, wait, what's down there? What's down there? Oops, I'm going straight down there. So, uh, yeah, that is I, – I feel bad for the guy. They say curiosity kills the cat, but it also almost killed the man here but again i believe that was the final blooper of the night but again before we go like we always do every single night for the shows let's go to tonight's final thoughts i said this has been an interesting type show with different topics that where we disagree nfl nba and mlb what are your final thoughts from tonight's show well, my final thoughts on tonight's show. Actually, before I get into my final thoughts, um, I want to thank Chardot. I want to thank James Gonzalez. Um, I want to thank, uh, let's see here, Casey King, Chase Frazier. I think Chase is a new viewer on the MI6 Sports Network. Chase, uh, welcome to the MI6 Sports Network. Really appreciate you for tuning in tonight. Uh, um, and let's see, who else we got here? I want to thank uh, Mo Mo's Omri. I don't know if I'm saying that name correctly, but I want to thank you for tuning in as well. Um, I also want to thank, let's see, we had a lot of new viewers tonight, John. Uh, Coco and also... Oh, I think that's it. But I want to thank everybody that tuned in tonight, um, our regular audience and also our uh, new audience that gave us a listen tonight. Really appreciate you guys. Hope uh, for the new audience and everybody else that, you know, you would guys would come back and continue to tune in to our shows. Uh, really appreciate the love and the support from you guys. But my final thoughts is, John, here we are. One week, uh, one week from tonight. Super Bowl Sunday, uh, we will where we have the Buccaneers against the Kansas City Chiefs. We will know by next week Sunday when we come on the air again and do the night shift who is Super Bowl Fifty Five champion. And also, John, I cannot wait. Um, I'm going to let you announce what we have uh, coming up for this upcoming week. But it, this upcoming week is going to be so great. I can't wait to do programs here on the MI6 Sports Network uh, this week. Um, oh, but so this week we have our MI6 Sports Network Super Bowl week where we will be giving you extensive coverage leading up to Super Bowl 55. We will be talking everything about the Super Bowl. Uh, we'll talk about 
Tomorrow we'll get into, you know, Tony Romo's comments. Is this Patrick Mahomes' biggest game of his career? Is Mahomes' uh, – if Mahomes loses this game, will – is he eliminated from, you know, the GOAT conversation and catching Tom Brady? We'll get into that. We'll get into everything related to the Super Bowl. And also next Saturday, ladies and gentlemen, tune in because we've got prop bets. We're going to be getting into some of the – Funny prop bets that are going on with Super Bowl 55. So definitely tune in this entire week for our Super Bowl 55 coverage. You won't want to miss it. Folks, my final thoughts here is that if my voice sounds hoarse or quiet, or I can barely speak next Sunday. It's because of either joy or excitement or frustration and confusion. I get very passionate when it comes to football and the Super Bowl every single year. So my voice will be exceptionally hoarse, but I think it's definitely going to be a great week. All the coverage of that this week on the MSX Sports Network. And Thursday, 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 I'll be making my prediction of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the Kansas City Chiefs here, ladies and gentlemen, because the Super Bowl is going to be a great week. And I'm going to be very hoarse next Sunday. I did make a bet with uh, somebody for 20 bucks. Let me make it very abundantly clear. Curtis Jenkins Goss comes in. This network will be the only network I get my Super Bowl news this week. Again, thank you so much. Like we say, that that means a lot more than we know than y'all know because of the support every single night doing what we love. That does mean a lot and it does not go unnoticed. But my last final thought here is Isaiah. Oh, let me put the camera on you if I could actually do that. <laughs> you? I don't just put it on me. You better not change any of your picks. You never say last night, man, I had too much coffee. You better not say, oh, my gosh, something happened. I'm so sorry. I meant to pick this team versus this team. I knew they were going to win the whole time. I was just joking with you. None of that. Because I hope Calum sees this clip and we can put it here on the MS6, all social media feeds. Do not change your picks. But with that being said. Should I pick a tie then? Should I pick a tie? <laughs> That's not po- nice. Try see. Don't you dare. Cal will be watching. I will be watching. I'll be calling you out if needed be. Not just on my show, but next Saturday or Sunday on the night shift here. But with that being said, welcome to episode forty-two of the night shift here with John O'Connor, bring by Isaiah Leong. We will see you later. God bless and peace. <laughs>